Okay, so we are gonna go, we're about to go live on Facebook. I'm waiting for the confirmation okay. on the Facebook side. This always happens where, you know, you're talking through while you're live already because you're not sure you're live. And I'm, I probably was live that entire time. Yeah. So welcome everybody to Friday Night Live with Accountants. Today, um, alone, uh, uh, Mike decided to take a, a night off, which is fine. So we take a night off every every month or so, uh, one, once a month or so. And Andrew will be coming in later. Andrew's from Toronto, so he's watching the Raptors game. So please don't talk about the Raptors game or the score uh, because uh, we're taping it. Dr. Reginald Lee, our guest tonight, is taping it as well. So don't talk about the, the score, please. Anyway, I'd like to welcome Dr. Reginald Lee. Uh, he's a professor of management, is it? Yep. Is it management? management at Xavier University, which is located in Cincinnati. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And, um, and he has a PhD in mechanical engineering, but has studied in the fields of accounting and management. And he wrote several books. The two most recent, which are the ones that we're going to be talking about today, one is called da Lies, Damn Lies, and Cost Accounting. Great title, by the way. Thank you. Um, and that was written maybe like five or six years ago, right? Something uh, like that? Maybe three or four. Three, three or four. Okay, so it's, it's very recent. And then the next one, which is the one I have uh, here in front of me, which I'm just finished reading, uh, also in preparation for this, called Strategic Cost Transformation, which is a good part two for uh, damn, uh, lies, damn lies, and cost accounting. And the basic premise of, of the two books is that uh, accounting standards may lead us to make the wrong decisions because they only measure one dimension of the business, okay, which Dr. Lee calls it the accounting domain, and we'll discuss that. But as, as, as accountants and business consultants, we also need to look beyond the standard accounting measures, especially when it comes to cost accounting, and we'll discuss the, the whole perils of cost accounting tracking costs by item, by customer, by project, by department, all that stuff. And there's an opportunity for us to consult with our, our clients in other areas, which is uh, not just the accounting domain, which is called the operating cash domain. Is that what it is? Yeah, operations and operating, cash domain. Got two, two operations, operations and cash domain. I'm working all this from memory. So, uh, you're fine. Um, so we'll discuss that. So Dr. Lee, first let me ask you, why did you write lies, damn lies, and cost accounting? So we'll start with that. And welcome yeah, to the show. It's a really interesting story. And thank you for having me on the, on the show. It's kind of fun, especially on a Friday night. Um, so lies, damn lies, and cost accounting was actually requested by the guy who created the Society of Cost Management. And so his name was Michael. And unfortunately, he's no longer with us. But uh, Michael had gone back and read one of my early books, uh, Explicit Cost Dynamics. And he said, have you updated your ideas in a while? And I said, no, not really. And he said, we need to get you out there. We need to get more of this because we, I think that cost managing people need to see more of this. So he, he worked on me for probably a year or more and got the publishers and kind of did an end around and said, hey, you know, we guys give this guy a contract to write this book. And so after the conversation, then we decided let's go for it. And so that's how Lies, Damn Lies came about. So it was really almost like a prequel to my first two books. And it was tr to try to explain why is it that we need to look at things a little bit differently. And so it kind of laid out some of the fallacies of uh, cost accounting as it relates to managing the business and understanding cash. 
So it wasn't necessarily knock on cost accounting as much as it was a, a description of the limitations of when and how to use it. Okay, and the central theme of, of the book, actually there's multiple central themes. This book is like 145 pages and it's jam-packed with, with stuff. But central theme is there are, there are some things that we call measurements that are not really measurements and they're really metrics. And there's, there's a distinct difference between something we can measure and something we arbitrary, arbitrarily measure using our own sort of biases and methods and stuff like that. So can you make, can you, you can explain the difference between measurements and metrics within the context of accounting? Yeah, so the, the example I often use when I'm giving a speech is this. So back when we had landlines and some folks still had landlines and we pay $25 and we have access to phone service for a month, let's say, right? Local phone service. So we can call as many local people as we want in that month, right? But then for a long distance call, let's say it costs us 10 cents a minute. So we know that a 10 minute long distance call costs us a dollar, but then I ask the question, what's a 10 minute local call cost us? And so when we take a look at trying to figure out that local call, there's no relationship between what we bought, which is access, and how we use it, which is making phone calls. And so to try to figure out that cost, we have to create a relationship between two things. And so when we create that relationship, there are really an infinite number of ways to create that relationship. So what I, what I do, the way I distinguish the two is metrics are something that I can measure. So when I measure money leaving an organization, such as that dollar for the long distance call, then that's, that's the measure, right? However, uh, when I look at metrics, metric, a metric in my mind is something that we're trying to figure out. And so because we're trying to figure out the, the, uh, the cost, then it's subjected to um, arbitrary uh, math relationships and subjectivity. For example, when I try to figure out the, call, the cost of the call, what do I include? Well, some people may suggest that you include, let's say 24 hours in a day to come up with an a, a, a per minute rate, for example. Well, someone else may say, well, but you're not making calls for the whole 24 hours. Maybe you're just making them for eight, uh, 16 hours or eight hours. So there's subjectivity that goes into it. So if I got to figure it out, there's a calculation that's involved and that calculation itself is going to create a value on the back end that's generally a metric versus something that is, that's measured. For example, if I've got, um, you know, if I'm measuring length and this is all, you know, let's, let's, this is my engineering background. Let's forget about all the stuff that Einstein talked about, right? For the most part, we start thinking about measuring time. We start thinking about measuring distance. Um, then those things are fairly precise. I can get a ruler and within the accuracy of the device I'm using, I know that something's nine inches or not, right? Um, but if I'm calculating it, then it's subjected to the, the calculation approach that I create. And so because of that, there's less precision associated with what it is it's trying to represent. All right, so let, let's throw like a sort of a small business example out there, right? So let's say, for example, I, I have, I'm running an accounting firm and I have three accountants on staff or three, three staff members, right? So um, if I, I could figure out the profit per accountant or per employee by simply just dividing all the numbers by three, or I could do a proportionate, right? Maybe you doing it based on their salary. Or I could take some other piece of measurement, like figure out how many hours each person works and divide it by that. Or I could take some sort of other arbitrary numbers, like you know who sells what, maybe divide it by that. 
So the, the reality is that when it comes to measuring profits by department, by cost center, uh, by project, the allocation method is something that we pretty much choose. Right? Like you pull it out of a hat, you, 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 you do it. And if you apply multiple, you will get multiple results from each one. Uh, therefore, it, it leads you. It, it, it may lead you to believe that you could make uh, you can make materially different decisions based on which method you use. So, because it is our arbitrary choice to what method methodology we use, that is a metric, not a measurement. Correct. Uh, that's that's part of it. Yeah. So let's 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 come up with a, a practical example, right? So you've got your accounting firm, and let's say that. Um, you want to determine the cost of providing a particular service to a client, right? So when you look at the work that the accountants do, the amount of time that they spent, the work that they created, the, the, um, the deliverables and such, all of that is, is, you know, depending on how you get it, right? But the, the time that they actually spent doing the work, whether they're reporting it on a timesheet or not, and I know the timesheets are a big issue, but if we, if we take a look at the abstraction of it, the amount of time that they spent doing the work is not questioned. That's something that's measured, right? But then when we interpret the value of their time, that's where the subjectivity comes in, right? So if someone says, well, let's take a look at, um, you know, like you said, the different all allocation approaches, or do we consider an eight hour day or do we consider a nine hour day, depending on billable hours? There are a lot of decisions that go into it. So because I've got so many subjective values that go into this calculation, I'm going to get a lot of different numbers on the back end, even though they're all representing the same one situation. And that is they created the return. They did an audit that that is, is not disputable, but how we come up with the numbers on the back end to describe what happens is disputable. Okay. So um, generally speaking uh, in, in accounting, we take investments uh, into inventory. Mm -hmm. We take uh, uh all, all the expenses in terms of like, let's say factory costs. I do a lot of consulting with QuickBooks users, small manufacturers, and we run into this situation all the time where I need to take the rent and allocate it to each unit of production. And I need to take labor and allocate it to each unit of production. And I, I've experimented with just making up methodologies. Like I say, look, oh, the proper way to do it is to do this, this and that. And it always passes muster. Like, I mean, obviously anything I can say People say, okay, let's let's do that method. And 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 over the years, you know, I've I've become more and more cynical about you know whether whether I'm doing a disservice to my customers. The, the, the issue is this is what they usually call me for. They say, Hector, we don't know our costs well. We don't know what our cost per unit is well. And, and usually they don't they don't say the second step, but the second step, which is hidden there, is so we can figure out how to price it correctly. And that's usually that that hidden, the hidden uh, message or the hidden meaning behind them trying to figure out how much the per unit, per project, whatever that allocation they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. So if we don't understand what they're trying to do ultimately is figure out how to price their product better, we, we're gonna do a big disservice using any arbitrary method to figure out what the cost per product is. But even with that, I I have challenges because I, I don't know what the alternative is, which I. We're hoping that this discussion sheds some light on what the alternative is. I don't know what is the alternative to telling my, telling my client, no, I can't take the unit of measure of time or employee or payroll. 
and allocate it to the cost. So I can't take the overhead, like the utilities and the facilities costs and throw it into the, the unit per cost. So what I'm asking you is, what is the alternative when this is the request that our customers have? What is the service that we should be doing instead? Sure. So let's provide a little bit of context before we go there, because I think context is going to be really important. Um, the way these tools came about was when I was in graduate school. So you mentioned I've got a PhD in engineering, and so I hope no one's holding that against me. Um, one of the things I want to be able to do is explain the effects of improvements that we would make, the financial effects, not only the business effects, but the financial effects, right? And so um, having been trained, trained in some of Goldratt's tools and I focused on cash. And what I realized was that when I looked at accounting based numbers, they didn't represent cash. For example, let's take a laborer, right? Who makes $30 per hour. If I make them more efficient, they can create more output, let's say, then I've got more units that can absorb that $30, right? So the suggestion is that the cost per unit goes down. However, no less money is being spent. I'm still spending $30. So even though I can suggest that there's a cost reduction there's no change in cash from a cash out perspective. And so I started wondering, well, why is this the case? And so to fast forward, what strategic cost transformation does is it simplifies what's happening there by breaking the business down into two domains. So if you look at the dynamics of cash, the dynamics of cash are pretty simple, right? I start the day with a certain amount of money. Um, I spend money throughout the day. Maybe I make money through the day. And at the end of the day, I can determine based on how much I started with, how much I spent, and how much I gained, how much I have at the end of the day, right? It's pretty straightforward per, uh, computation. For example, I start the day with $10, I spend five, but I make another 10, then at the end of the day, I'm gonna have $15, right? But so if I, if I model cash that way, and if I model the organization that way, then the question becomes, so what affects cash in and cash out? And so that's where the operations and cash domain comes in. So. If you take a look at organizations, they really do four things. They buy things, they consume it, they create output, and some of that output they sell. So those are the, that's the operations of the company in a nutshell, four basic steps. And so what it is that I buy affects the rate of money going out. What it is that I sell and receive affects the rate of money coming in. And so the thought there is that if you want to focus on cash, you can figure out what's happening from your cash from a business perspective without, without calculating the accounting numbers. So when you talk about things such as um, calculating per unit uh, cost, and then you, you wanna add, you know, let's say a margin to come up with your costs. I know Ron Baker's probably be, beating us up and Rhonda Lynn's probably beating us up as, as well right now, but let's say that's the way people do it, right? Well, a lot of people do it, unfortunately. Um, then in that context, you gotta ask the question, well, does that represent cash? And the answer is it doesn't represent cash. And so if are your clients asking you that information, assuming that profit reflects cash, if they are, then we have to go back to that, that fundamental assumption that profit is equal to cash and it's not. Because if you think about accruals, which you mentioned earlier, for instance, I can sell you, let's say this Apple pencil right here, right? I can sell this to you today for a hundred dollars and say, hey, you know what? Why don't you just pay me in July? And let's say that I spent the money to buy it or I'm Apple and I made it back in, let's say April. And so I spent the money in April to get it. I'm asking you to pay me in July, yet I can calculate a profit in this month. And that violates how cash flows. And so with that basic concept, we've got a violation with cash. We've got a disconnect with cash. And then when you ask things such as what's this pencil cost? 
well, if I'm Apple and let's say I calculate the cost to be $20, that's to your point, if I use one technique, it could be $20. If I use another technique, it could be $28. If I use a third technique, it could be $17. So the question then becomes, if I, if I use different techniques, I'm gonna come up with different costs. And if I come up with different costs that are based on subjective relationships and assumptions, then what value does that cost have to you in terms of whether you're making money or not? And so one of the things that I propose in my work is that when you get down to making decisions, managerial decisions using that information, you're gonna put yourself in a position where you're not gonna understand, you're divorcing yourself from what's happening from a cash and operations perspective. Because to, to get to that cost, I lose a significant amount of information about what happens in operations and cash. For example, if I tell you this pencil costs Apple $20 to make, what do you know about Apple as a result of that? You don't know how many people were involved. You don't know what the people made. You don't know how efficiently and productively they were. You don't know how many, how many pencils they made. You know nothing about operations other than $20. And so if you really want to manage cash, if you want to make money, you can't live in that uh, in the accounting information you've got to move upstream so the way i at the way i deal with the situation you just asked me and ron baker and i were just talking about this uh, a couple weeks ago when we were in my hometown is that question is almost like asking well where's the gas tank on a tesla right it's an electric car it doesn't have a gas tank and so with with if, if you're operating in the operations and cash domain to try to figure out the profitability of the unit you can't do it because to get there, you have to go through a, tr a transformation to get to that cost. And once you do that, you're in the accounting domain. So for you to be able to figure that information out, I mean, the technique that you use, you know, there's, there's another factor here that I think is really critical for people to understand. We go back to that phone example, right? Where we pay $25 and it's $25 whether we make no phone calls or an infinite number of local phone calls, right? So to calculate a cost per call, I need a relationship between what I spent and how I used it, right? The number of calls I use, the number of minutes that I consume, I need some kind of a relationship there. But the problem is there is no relationship. And so if I need a relationship and I don't have one, what do I do? Well, I make it up. And so the allocation approaches that we use is making up the relationship between independent things. What you pay for that local phone service and how you use it are completely independent. And if we extrapolate that into what happens in a manufacturing environment, what you pay for your materials, you buy 10,000 pounds of steel and you pay for it. It's, 10, it's that price whether you use all of it or you use none. When you pay $30 for an, hour, for an hour of an employee, it's $30 whether they make nothing or an infinite number of parts. When you, buy, when you lease your space, it's that cost whether you use it or not. And so they're, they're completely mathematically independent. And so because they're mathematically independent, to calculate that cost, you have to go through all these gyrations of creating arbitrary relationships and that and call, that calls into question the value of the numbers that you're actually creating on the back end. And so what I try to do with companies in situations like yours is say, all right, so what's your objective here? Is your objective to be profitable or to make money? And they'll come back and say, well, we want to do both. And I say, well, okay, that's fair, but there are going to be situations where one, making money can compromise being profitable or flipping it, being profitable can count compromise making money. So you gotta have a decision that you wanna make as an organization. So the companies that you're talking to, the first question is, so do you wanna be profitable or do you wanna make money? If you wanna be profitable, then let's try to figure out a way so that you can focus on generating profit within your organization. And that's not necessarily gonna be about cash. So that's gonna be about things such as 
the allocation techniques that you use. You know, do, for instance, do I want to put my my uh, company up for sale, or do I want to, you know, if it's on the stock market and I want to increase the perception I'm generating cash, then I want a, hard, a large margin, right? If I want, uh, let's say, a lower lower tax rate, then I want a smaller margin. So I pick the costing approach that's going to give me the numbers that I want to have on the back end, and then that's how you generally do it. So when I go to companies and they want me to focus on profitability, then I'll say, okay, so help me understand what you want to do uh, strategically with the organization. And then based on that, let's try to figure out an approach that's going to help you out. Oh, thank God this thing, this thing is being recorded because ah. <laughs> Dr. Lee, it's Friday night, man. It's Friday night. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. No, that's, no, that was an incredible answer, by the way. And I, <laughs> I, 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 I like to unpack some of that, but let, let's see if we can bring Andrew in. Um, Andrew, you, you deal with a lot of IT professionals. I think that's your area of specialty in Toronto. And, yeah. and how you doing, by the way? Don't tell me the, the, the score you, of the Toronto game. Yeah, I'm taking do you, it. Hear, do you hear the horns out in the background? No, I don't want to hear it. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to know anything. I'm taping it, so I don't want to know anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll just tell you there's a lot of hockey going on in this city right now. Ah, uh, so there you go. We, we've blown it, so okay. I can delete the tape and I can go to sleep now. <laughs> I'm Sorry about that. You. Yeah. That's fine. You, you deal with, with tons of uh, IT professionals, which is all intellectual capital. It's all, labor, it's all labor and time. And I'm sure you get this question a lot. You know, how do I know? Which, you know, which of my projects are profitable. And for the most part, what they ask you to measure is uh, people's payroll and people's time. How do you, how do you deal with that on a day-to-day basis? I, I gotta be really honest. It doesn't actually come up all, all that often. Um, these guys are generally speaking, managing their businesses uh, by their bank book, unfortunately. So they're looking, as you said, uh, at, at cash and cash only. Um, and just saying, okay, is, is cash continuing to, to come in the door um, and looking at it that way? And they're not, and whether that's a good thing or a, or a bad thing, they're not trying to create that connection between um, their profitability and, and the number of hours they're spending. They're just looking at, okay, how much money am I putting in my bank? How much am I invoicing? Um, and is that continuing to go up? Um, and they, you know, so for me, I, I gotta admit it, it's a bit overwhelming. I'm hearing this, I'm like, it's really interesting, but it's um, it's a little deep for me. And I'm like, I have to go back to my cost accounting roots back in school and be like, okay, let's let's break this down and 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 try to put my my myself in the place of these people in the manufacturing businesses and having to deal with this this cost allocation struggles and, and figure out, you know, how much of, of my rent and how much of all this goes into each unit of, of production. Um, and, and I'm so used to looking at this myself from a macro level and saying, as you said, it ultimately doesn't really matter. Um, unfortunately, sometimes we have to put that stuff on a balance sheet and an income statement um, uh, for the sake of representing it, but it doesn't help actually help us manage our businesses any more uh, effectively and, and trying to look at um, other, and I don't know whether they're uh, their measures or metrics. I was trying to understand that, but it was a little deep for me. Um, but figuring out whether the, those measures or metrics and looking at, you know, how many units are we producing per full-time equivalent or per, per, per person? Um, how many projects can each of my independent consultants take on and manage? 
um, what's the most I can generate um, for each profit? Can I can I increase my bill rate for these guys? And and what's the value, which is often market driven uh, more than anything else. So to be honest, I'm going to probably do a lot of listening on, on this episode uh, because it's really interesting, but I'm truthfully in over my head on this topic. Well, and, and see, I think that that's, that's a key point because this isn't about trying to figure out all the allocations and such. This is about trying to figure out if I take on a project, am I making money or not? Not necessarily if I'm profitable or not, but if I'm making money or not. You know, this kind of happened um, when I worked with a big four firm as we were building out our practice. One of the issues was we were hiring some fairly expensive folks and but we weren't getting large projects one of the early challenges was we wanted to fo focus on as we we're building out the practice very well-known names well if we weren't necessarily getting the well-known names then we had folks on the bench right some very expensive folks and so the question becomes so what's the important important decision here because every month we had to pay the salaries that were going out and this is money that the, the firm no longer had and if we weren't necessarily selling projects to offset the money that we were spending, then from a cash perspective, there's a deficit, which isn't a good thing, right? Now we can try to figure out what a profitable project looks like, but if we sell one profitable, pro profitable project in a year, and again, that profit is determined by how we choose to cost it, and then you've got other factors such as realization, but let's, let's stick with the costing approach now, Right. So if I sell one profitable, there's no there's no guarantee that that's generating enough cash to pay off all the salaries that we had sitting there for a year. And well, so, it doesn't. And sorry ahead. to interrupt, but doesn't it come back to just this? Are you covering your variable costs? And that whole. No, is no, no. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than that, because when you start thinking about it, you have the office spaces that you you have. You've got the accounting organization you've got to pay for. You've got the marketing organization you've got to pay for. But those are fixed, right? You're going to have those right. regardless. Well, so but if you, you still have to pay for you, them. You still have to pay you for still them. Have to pay for them. Right. If you, so. have an, if you have an existing business and you can add in a new line or a new service and by adding variable costs, then as long as you're generating more than your variable costs, um, yes, there should be an allocation for that. And this is where I think sometimes um, there's, you know, we run into that debate of, we look at something and say it's not profitable, but if we, it's an add-on to an existing business and we would have had that office space and we would have had that space sitting there unutilized, isn't it still come back to just covering your variable costs? No. <laughs> what, what that does, what that tells you, first of all, we've got to make sure that we're consistent with what a fixed and a variable cost is because accounting has it wrong from a cash perspective. It's backwards. So if you take direct labor, for example, yeah, direct labor from an accounting perspective varies with output, right? Yeah. But from a cash perspective, if I pay them $30 for that hour, it doesn't change based on how much output they create. The yeah. same thing with materials, right? So from an accounting perspective, something that's a variable cost is different than from a cash perspective, what a variable cost is. So if we're not precise with what it is that we're calling a variable and a fixed cost, and that's going to throw us off. The second thing is where a lot of firms go wrong is if you're only focused on covering your variable costs, where do you get the information in terms of how much of the fixed cost you need to pay for? And if you don't know what that number is, then you don't know. See, it's, it's not just about covering your variable costs, it's covering your variable costs and being able to kick back enough to cover your fixed costs. So the president of Fidelity Capital had it right. He said, what it really is is about kicking back to the kitty. And the kicking back to the kitty, it's 
all that you've got to understand what the basis of that fixed cost is from a cash perspective. So you know how much cash you need to generate to pay not only for the project or for the new line or whatever it is, but also for all the other costs in the organization. And if you're not factoring that in, there's no guarantee that you're generating enough cash to be able to pay it off. Right. So I guess, and I guess a lot of this, as you said, comes down to how clearly you can actually define um, what your variable costs are and, and, and this allocation then of yeah, see, what your cost not, It's not about that at all. In fact, when you start getting, when you use the term allocation, you're, you're quite squarely in the accounting domain. And okay. Or, the accounting or, domain, you're, you're away from cash. You're not dealing with cash anymore. I guess the, the idea is trying to figure out what the actual cost would be if this product or project was running completely independent of itself. Is so that, what's I guess? The cost tell you? What's, so let's say that you've got a project and we calculate the cost of $100,000. Does that mean we're spending $100,000 in cash to do it? Or would we save $100,000 if we didn't do it? I, I guess that depends on the project. And I guess that's what you have to define. Okay, so let's take a general, you know, any kind of a project, right? So under what okay. circumstances would a project where I'm spending $100,000, would, would money actually leave the organization? Give me an example. Uh, so uh, let's say just a simple project with a bunch of consultants and I'm going to hire you know, a senior guy at $100,000 a year to do some consulting work. Okay. So, so $100,000 $100, leaves the organization, but the people that you hire within the organization, that cost doesn't, doesn't change, right? Correct. If you've got your own employees, that doesn't necessarily change, right? So yeah. in that particular situation, what you're looking at is trying to understand, all right, so when I do this project, because let's take, let's take a look at a co construction project, right? where what I want to do is maybe cost what that project is. And so I'm going to have maybe uh, subcontracted labor where there's cash out when I pay them. Then I'm going to have my own employees where there's no additional cash out if they work the project, right? But there's going to be a labor, co a labor cost or labor cost lines associated with both. And so what's, what we need to understand is under what circumstances is money leaving the organization and in what circumstances money not leaving the organization. If, if it's my own people, then money's not leaving the organization. And so what that ends up doing is if I don't necessarily understand this effectively, then I'll do things such as, well, I don't wanna apply any more of my people's time because the cost is gonna go up. Well, the accounting cost is gonna go up because you're consuming more of their labor, but the cash cost isn't gonna change because you're still paying them their salaries. You right. see what I'm saying? And so it's assuming they have capacity to work on the project and we're sitting there underutilized. Right, right. And so in that context, then what we generally don't do is we don't understand the difference between cash and non-cash costs. And because we don't necessarily understand the two, the difference, and then we lump them together, we assume that they're all the same. And so that's why I think it's important because from a profitability perspective, let's say I've got that $100,000, but let's say I have $200,000 of my own labor foot right? The value of their labor that's consumed is $200,000. I may think that the cost of that project is $300,000. And so therefore I may have to sell it for $400,000. Well, in reality, from a cash perspective, I just pay that one guy $100,000. So anything above, this is your variable cost argument. Anything above that $100,000 is going to come back and pay for the, not only those consultants, but hopefully kick back to the kitty for some of the other costs of the organization. And so what that does, that gives us some flexibility from a pricing perspective, right? Because now I'm thinking, well, if, I, if someone offers me, um, you know, $200,000 for this, I'm going to say, well, no, I'm going to lose money. 
well, you're not going to lose money because the only money you're spending is that $100,000 for that guy to come in. Yeah. And that's what I sort of meant by that variable cost, but I guess I, I wasn't really explaining it well. Um, but the additional outlay of money, as you're saying, putting it in a cash terms, the additional outlay that you would have to put up to be able to provide that service, as long as you're generating more than that, technically you should be providing that service. Technically should be providing that service. Yeah, but that still doesn't guarantee. So let's say that for every time we provide that service, we generate $100,000. So we do that 12 times a year. So we've got 1.2 million, but if our overall costs are 1.4 million in cash, we still haven't generated enough, even though with every single project, we've been able to cover the cost of being able to do it. Right. Let me, um, if you don't mind, Andrew, let me use an example, as I understand it, that would be sort of the inverse effect. So you're saying we go out and hire a person to do a specific set of projects. And how do we, how do we, how do we deal with that, with that uh, conundrum of, you know, how, how do we allocate costs and what the real cost is and all that stuff? What if we go the other way? What if we take the advice from most of the experts in the field that tell us, fire your own profitable customers. We hear that all the time, right? People tell us, well, you have to figure out which are your A customers, your B customers, your C customers, and you know, get rid of all the, all the C customers from a, from a profitability perspective, and that's a great move. Now, the challenge with that is, that's also making the assumption, as I understand it, Dr. Lee, you jump in any, any second now, that's making the assumption that you're getting rid of the fat of that customer, but you're also reducing all the, fixed costs to stay within this team associated that proportionally reduce the, the cost, the real cost, the real cash cost of getting rid of this customer. But the reality is that's, that's not really what happens is you get rid of your quote unquote unprofitable customer and you still have all your same fixed costs. So what ends up happening is overall, you basically take a cash, you, 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 you take a cash flow problem, right? And, and most of the small, smaller bookkeepers Solo, solopreneurs, solo practitioners, they're very adverse to this whole concept of getting rid of unprofitable customers because they have it right. They say, look, this is gonna hurt my, my profit or my cash flow immediately. And therefore it's just, it's just senseless for me to just get rid of my quote unquote unprofitable customers. This is the, um, this is the, the fallacy of, of the cost accounting calculations to figure out the profitability per customer. I think what Dr. Lee says is, okay, that may be true. You can get rid of the quote unquote unprofitable customers, but then you have to kick in uh, cost transformation, which is I'm, I have a permanent investment into capacity and I need to be able to turn it into cash in order for me to have a healthy business. And I think part of the problem is accounting and cost accounting only tells, tells you that part of the story. It's the one that's right about who's profitable and who's not write about what cost center is profitable. And I'll give you another example, Dr. Leon, if you wanna chime in on this one, I'll give you another example that's completely different from accounting, which is I used to work for Best Buy and it was one of the best educations I received ever in my life. And, and I used to be a, a department supervisor of the computer department in Long Island City, New York. And when I first got there, the store was horrible at getting rid of what we used to call at-risk inventory, which are things that are uh, obsolete or about to be obsolete. Now in the books, all these computers have a, a cost and whatever I sell this computer for, I, if I sell it under cost, I get berated for selling the product under cost. But what management is failing to see 
is that the longer I wait to sell this product, the more obsolete, the less value, and the more of a basically a bloodbath I'm going to take uh, on, on the product later on if I wait too long to sell it. On top of that, is taking capacity, is taking shelf space, is taking capital from me to buying to get new models and new product and stuff that's higher margin, iPads, iPods, whatever they had at the time when I used to work there 16 years ago. But what I used to do, or what I try to do, is I try to get rid of all the crap first, and I used to take a bloodbath on it, and I used to all, always be dealing with my managers that were looking at these reports that were proving to me that I was losing money. It's like I'm proving to you, look, the numbers don't lie. We, we paid 100 you sold it for $80, you're a bad supervisor. And I said, dude, you have to wait because the way this works is once we get the new product in, the high margin product in, we'll make it up at the end. So the, the challenge with accounting in my myopic view is that one analysis will, will render one decision. But if you don't look at the entire business, the entire ecosystem of your decision making, it comes back and bites you. So that's kind of like the way I see it when I was reading this book. I was remembered that, that, that scene in my life where I was fighting with managers about getting rid of this old inventory. And, and Dr. Lee, I'll, I'll ask you, you know, is that right about, uh, about the lines of what you were trying to say? Yeah, that's actually correct in both examples, right? So we start dealing with either profitable or unprofitable customers, products, et cetera. We got to understand what profit represents, right? When I calculate a cost, I propose that the calculated cost is a, it's a representation of the value of the resources that you consume. So if I'm making, if Apple is making this pencil, that $20 represents the value of the materials, the labor, machine time, all that stuff that goes into it with some overhead applied to it, right? So there's a value that's there. And so when you start thinking about profitable customers, if I come up with a cost to serve that customer, it just represents the, the value of the, the resources that are consumed. So what I argue with companies is, it's not necessarily that you're losing money on customers, it's just certain customers consume more of your resources than others. When you put a cost on that consumption, it ends up being a higher cost than the others. So if one consumes 10 hours versus five, that's gonna cost more from, a, from an accounting perspective. But the people are there are, are capacity, so the, there's nothing that's there from a cash perspective, right? So from a cash perspective, everything's the same. When you get rid of the unprofitable customer, what happens? You lose that cash in if you haven't, like you said, correspondingly reduce your, your capacity. It happens with um, customer rationalization, product rationalization. It also happens with make versus, make versus buy analyses, right? Because if I'm looking at this Apple Pencil and we say, okay, again, it could be $20 with one approach. It could be $30 with another approach. It could be 15 with another. So we don't really know, right? And, but we know that if we buy from the outside, it's $25. That's a cash transaction for every pencil that I buy for $25. It's not a cash transaction for when I make one. So now I'm comparing apples and oranges. I'm comparing cash to value. And so with make versus buy, you say, well, you know what? It's cheaper for me to buy from the outside, so I'll just buy it from the outside and maybe I can make something else internally. So your same resources are still there, you're still paying for them, and now you're paying the outside more money to be able to provide you with product. So I see a lot of times when companies actually increase their costs by doing these types of activities. And then with, when, you, um, when you mentioned your best buy work, I ran into that a lot with retail, with not really understanding, especially when you have certain metrics like Jimroy, where they're saying, you know what, we've got to make sure that we keep our gross margins that's there. And it's probably driving some of the, co the conversations that you have, right? But the issue is, once I come in with replacement products, I'm never going to get that gross margin. 
it's just not going to be there, right? Once I have the replacements there, you know, people weren't buying it when we had it. And now we've got two or three generations beyond that price. We're not going to be able to get it. So either we, we sell it for what we can sell it for, we write it off, but you know, just to assume that we're going to just keep it on the shelf and somehow somebody's going to magically buy it at its full price or something close to full price. And we got better products out there is, is not necessarily a strong business decision. And these are the types of things that, like you said, if we can avoid these by really understanding what's really happening, we've got this, we spent money for this inventory. We've got to figure out how much revenue we can generate by selling it. Let's get as much as we can, but to sit there and hope, I mean, like they always say, hope is not a strategy. And in this particular case, it certainly isn't. And Dr. Lee, under this this example, Andrew, you wanted to go? Just a quick question, because what I hear over and over again um, is, you know, the word capacity, capacity, capacity. And capacity seems to play into all of this, right? Um, We talk about, you know, the cliche of people telling us to fire your bad clients. And if you have tons of excess capacity, that's maybe not a great idea. If you don't have a lot of capacity and you've got more clients than you can serve lining up at your door, then firing your worst clients obviously makes sense. So how do you put a cash value on capacity? Or should you, I guess, is the question for Dr. Lee. Well, let me ask you this. It sounds like there's context behind it. Why are you thinking you need to put a value on capacity? And what type of value are you thinking you need to put on it? Well, I guess, because I hear you talking about um, trying to measure things by cash. You know, what, how much cash is going to be going out for this project? How much cash is going to be coming in? Um, and I wonder, so the, the immeasurable thing that we have, or well, it is potentially measurable, is capacity, right? Mm-hmm. So if you've got a decision whether you should, let's say, um, add a new line of service um, and you're saying, well, I'm going to have to hire this one and go back to that, uh, that project we have with the construction um, where you've got, you're going to hire one full-time person to do that, but you've, you've got the ability to pull people over from another project and you're going to pay him a hundred thousand. You're going to generate 200,000 from this, but um, you know, you've got 50,000 or $75,000 of unused labor right now. Um, and, and do you, do you put a value on that and say, Hey, yeah, I could, I should do this project because I can pull that in and, you know, I'm going to be generating $200,000 of cash and only outlaying $100,000 of cash right now, uh, even though I'm sucking in $75,000 of unused labor. Does that get, um, I guess, factored in at, do you factor that in at the, at the full rate that it would have been? Do you do some adjustments for the fact that it's underutilized capacity? Um, do you, do you say, Hey, I should, I should give this a, you know, uh, like I should assume that, um, that I will always have this capacity and, and, and price things like I'll have the capacity. Should you assume that you'll never have the capacity? How do you factor that in when you're making these decisions or should so you at all? So I think where you, you're in what I call mixed domain analysis. And that is, I don't know if you're there or not, but we've got the operations and cash domain and we've got the accounting domain, right? So some of the questions that you were asking kind of straddle both. And so when you straddle both, you're never really gonna get a clear answer. It's either one or the other, right? And so when you look at it from a cash perspective, so capacity, I define capacity as what you buy in anticipation of using it. So that's space, that's labor, that's equipment, materials, and technology, okay? so 
that value that you talked about of capacity and unused capacity, that's an accounting domain question because now I've got subjectivity. How am I going to figure out the value? You know, for example, another example that I give when I'm giving a talk is, let's say you buy 10 pounds of flour for $10, right? And you're, you're a, a, a restaurant. So you use a pound of flour to make bread. So that pound of flour, you say, has a value of $1, right? But then what happens if after I use that one pound, I dump the whole, the, the rest of the bag? Is that one pound now worth $10? Or what happens if I use two pounds and dump the rest? So now the value of that that one pound can change, right? There's subjectivity. So that's where we start getting into accounting domain stuff. What I know from a cash perspective is that I spent $10, I, I bought 10 pounds, I used one, I've got nine left. So the question is, how can I use that nine to generate revenue? And so when I start looking at capacity and capacity analyses for companies, it's not necessarily about, you know, during that time, it would be, you know, 50, $70,000 in unused capacity. Some of the metrics that were used in the analysis, cash analysis, one of the key ones is uh, what's called um, um, business cash requirements. And so that takes a look at cash out over time. And that starts generating that whole, this is how much money we're spending and this is how much money we're going to have to offset. So if I've got a project that's coming up and I know that I'm going to be paying these salaries and the question becomes, all right, so I've got an opportunity to offset these salaries by taking on this project. Do I want to do it or not? If I don't do it, then understand that I still have to pay money for these salaries and nothing's coming in to offset it. So somewhere along the line between now and the end of the year, if I haven't made cash in the earlier part of the year, I'm going to have to generate the cash that I, I missed by taking this project. You see what I'm saying? So the objective yeah. here with the operations and cash domain is to make it very, very clear. This is what you're spending. This is what you're generating. This is what you bought. This is how you use it. This is how this is creating value for the organization in terms of sales. And if I can do all that, if I can see all that, then it becomes really clear. But what happens a lot of times is with many of my clients, excuse me, customers, sorry, Ron and Ed, um, with my customers is if I've got someone who's looking at profitability and this was profitable and everything we sold is profitable, and at the end of the year, they realize they don't have any money, then what happens is they're looking this way at their accounting analyses and operations and cash is blindsiding them from this way because they didn't see what was going on. They were looking at a, a subset of what's really going on with the organization. And so part of what strategic cost transformation is to create a picture of the entire organization so that we can see, all right, you know what? We do have excess capacity here and we know we're gonna have to pay them out at a certain rate. What does the pipeline look like? If we've got a pipeline that's got a lot of stuff there with a high probability of hitting, go with the higher higher price projects, right? Or the higher value projects. But if I'm sitting there with a pipeline that doesn't look like it's gonna hit, and I know that I've got this capacity, then that may suggest, even though from an accounting perspective, it's not profitable, it's paying off some of the cash that we, cash requirements that we have on a regular basis. That's gonna put us in a position where for the rest of the year, that's that much less cash we're gonna to have to generate. So to break it back to, to um, Hector's analogy of firing the bad clients, mm -hmm. I guess we wanna look at, uh, how are we doing along the year? Have we already made enough money to pay our staff? Um, and, and, and will we make enough money to pay our staff and, and cover our costs? If we fire this bad client, then, then it's a no brainer. Right. Um, and that. As long as your analysis is complete enough. And so what I see is that a lot of times the analyses are incomplete and so they don't have a complete picture. Right. So if you look at it and say, okay, you know, here's what's happening. We've got 
one organization that's 50% of our sales, but 75% of our organization is devoted to them. So if we get rid of that company and then we get rid of 75% of our organization, then maybe that kind of makes sense, right? The issue that I run into with companies is they'll do an analysis and say, well, this, you know, I've got four product lines and A, B, and C are profitable. D is not profitable. Let's get rid of it. So now I've lost the revenue coming in without thinking holistically, well, gee, yeah, those were unprofitable products, let's say, but you were still generating revenue from that business. And so without generating, without that revenue coming in and without, with that cost structure, cash cost structure that Hector mentioned still in place, now I'm in a much, much more negative cash position. And so that's why I, I propose it's not necessarily an either or operations and cash or accounting. What I suggest is that accounting information should not be used for managerial purposes. It should be used for reporting purposes. Because when you look at accounting information, it comes from operations and cash. It's not creating anything new. So it's not as if that information is not there. It is there. It's just we're not necessarily looking at it in an effective way. If we can look at it in an effective way, we haven't lost any information at all. In fact, we've gained because now it hasn't been converted using the subjectivity and the arbitrary relationships that I mentioned. So what would be the areas that, that people most often overlook? Because you said, as long as you've got enough information, what are the areas that most people fall down on? Number one, not modeling cash. So they assume that uh, profit and cash are the same and they're not. They assume that costs represent cash and they don't. And so that's, that's area number one, that there's a misunderstanding of what profit and cash, the relationship between the two. I think number two, um, there's not necessarily a focus on operations and what's generating the cash and what's causing you to spend the cash. And so what we do is we look at, oh, well, this pencil costs $20. If we can sell it for hundred, we make $80. Well, that's not true because that's not $20 that I spent. And so that margin, you know, I'm focused on that margin. Meanwhile, we missed some of the things that you and I talked about earlier. What's the cost of the organization? How much money do I have to generate to make sure I'm cash positive? Without a holistic perspective, I don't necessarily see that. That's the second one. Can um, I throw one in there, Dr. Lee, from, yeah. from basically my day-to-day? -day. Most of the time when business owners are, are asking me to figure out the true cost, and I'm saying that in quotes, if you're just listening to this, the true cost of my product, um, which, you know, obviously it's so arbitrary, right? So we talk about uh, the customs cost to bring it in. That's a direct cost. I mean, that's part of the true cost, quote unquote. We have, the, we have the shipping, we have the shipping cost. Then we have, you know, the labor and the storage cost, things that are, you know, maybe a lot more, more fussy. But at the end of the day, when, when they start asking me for this, based on how they ask it, I know what the true question is. The true question is, how much, how much should I pay my salespeople in commission? And it's so, it's so funny that what business owners are not obsessed with the true cost of their product. They really are not. They make it sound like they are, you know, when they come and they ask for these questions, but they're not. What they're really obsessed with is getting getting great customer experiences, making money on the sales and paying their employees fairly so they don't lose them. That's really all, all that it is. So a lot of times we can gain the system and I, I've been a culprit of that with, you know, knowingly and unknowingly when the, when the business owner says, I need you to do a cost analysis using factor A, B and C. It really is because they're trying to pay less commission to the salespeople or justify changing or 
transforming the commission structure. So I think that's one of the things that um, I wanted to throw in there is, is using, or using arbitrary measurements as an excuse or support to make a decision that is just wrong, period. Or, or, or it's really a forced decision. Like they knew what they wanted to arrive to, therefore they used whatever allocation they wanted to force that in there. And that shapes the entire behavior of the business. So you know, um, understand what do they miss? Well, what they do miss is that they use the, the rock and foundation of accounting measurements to justify really dumb decisions that just sends the business down, down the toilet. So I wanted to throw that in there. I don't know if that's relevant. Yeah, I think that's very relevant. And I think it looks like I'm frozen. I apologize for that. I'm not sure what happened. We can still hear you. We can hear you. We can hear you. Okay. Um, and I apologize. And I'll figure, try to work to get, get back on this. But, um, and so I think that that's, that's very relevant. And I think that that's very relevant for, for a number of reasons. Number one, when you start thinking about contribution margins, and um, let's see, all right. So when, when you start thinking about contribution margins, right? The general approach with contribution margins is to try to figure out, all right, so what are my variable costs and sales minus variable costs, right? Kind of like Andrew was talking about before, but fixed and variable costs are different from a cash perspective. So that doesn't necessarily tell you it, right? So when you're ta talking about um, your, um, let's say the margins that you're making and you're going to pay a commission based on the margins that you're making, let's say, right? So here's an example that I like to give. Let's say that you're a company um, that, that offers uh, software as a service and you offer, let's say, storage, right? So if you offer storage and let's say you come up with a cost of storage, you can say, all right, so if it costs me, I calculate it cost me uh, you know, $50 to provide a terabyte of data. And so I sell it for $100, I quote unquote make 50, which we don't, we know that you don't, but that's okay, let's say we make 50. But what if to provide you with that storage, I now have to go out and buy a server and that server cost me $3,000. How does that factor in the, into the commission, right? So if I don't look at, this is to, to Andrew's point, if I don't look at this thing holistically and say for me to be able to get this business, what money do I have to spend? Then if you look, if the salesman says, hey, you know what, I just sold this project, we're gonna make money, and you go back and say, eh, not really, because for us to be able to deliver this project, we have to spend more money and it's gonna take us years to be able to recover that. And so therefore the answer is probably we shouldn't sell it. So if I don't look at this thing holistically, I'm not gonna be able to model it effectively so that I can make those decisions that you're talking about. That's, that's, a, that's a great point. And Dr. Lee, we're almost uh, we're an hour in and I wanna be mindful of your time and also try to stay within this, this one hour uh, artificial limit uh, metric that we that we uh, that we that we, uh, we we built ourselves for this podcast, but I wanted to kind of kind of take it home and maybe tell you a little bit about some of my my favorite uh, learnings from your book, uh, chapter fourteen and chapter fifteen are my two favorites. They talk about you know the process of doing business cash modeling and metric versus versus measurements, mm -hmm. and, um, and and in there uh, you, you you basically give us a tool. That is, I don't want to call it an alternative to financial statements, but it's something that we can use in conjunction with financial statements, which is building what's called, what you call the BCR, the business yep. cash requirements. So do you want me to summarize it or would you like, would you like to? 
Yeah, the, the, the BCR is just what we were talking about before. And so when you look at, if you put a box around a company and look at the money that leaves that company, that's cash out. And so the BCR represents how much money we're spending. So on a periodic basis, I can, I can project things like labor costs, uh, space costs. I can figure out all these things based on understanding the timing of when they're supposed to go out. And so that gives me a, a, a way to be able to, oh, it looks like we're back. It gives me a way to be able to start understanding how to project cash. So let's say for instance, you got a situation where you've got to do overtime. You don't necessarily know the impact of overtime unless you look at, you know, on, on the, your next payroll cycle, unless you look at the cash requirements. How many hours are we going to run? Who's going to run them? What are their hourly rates? So I know that on the 15th of the month, when the next payroll cycle hits, this is how much money I'm going to have to pay in cash. Most of the time, we don't necessarily know that. The other thing is, like we talked about earlier, if I don't know how much money I'm spending on a regular basis and the cumulative effect of that, I don't know how much money I have to generate to make sure I am cash positive at the end of the year. And that's another thing, Andrew, that people are missing is that they don't look at this thing holistically to be able to understand how much cash am I spending? I have so many clients where they say everything I'm, prof is, I'm selling is profitable, but I don't have any money. That's because they're not looking at the right things, right? And so BCR allows you to understand how much money is going out. Why is it going out? Because, you know, we can go back to cash flow statements and say, well, can't you get the same information from cash flow statements? And the answer is no, because you can't look at a cash, cash flow statement, let's say a labor line on the cash flow statement and determine what were the people paid? How many hours did they work? Why did they work those hours? Were there, was, was there overtime built in or not? How much overtime? We have no context for it at all. And so BCR gives you that context for understanding what it is I'm doing, what cash effect is it going to have, and then to be able to plan accordingly. So I think it's a really powerful tool to help people understand, you know what, we're spending at this rate, are we generating cash at, the, at, at a rate to offset it? And if not, then we need to start thinking about things such as reducing our BCR or increasing the amount of cash that we're bringing in to offset the BCR. And in the BCR, something worth mentioning is basically you're going to, you're going to break down. Imagine if you were doing a profit and loss and taking all your expenditures uh, and obviously take cost of goods all out of the equation completely uh, when it, when it comes to inventory anyway, but the, uh, the direct, direct uh, project costs, of course, th those are part of your cash costs, but um, you break down your costs into three buckets. One is a, uh, taxes, fees, and royalties, which I see as uncontrollables. These are the things that we have to pay, regulation, contractual agreements, things that you just have to pay. You can't, and, 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 uh, and, and some of these are variable and some of these are fixed. I mean, they, they could be a variance of them. Then, then the second bucket is transactions. And these are all the sort of uh, operating admin expenses that, that you make based on decisions you made with your business, such as you know, paying, uh, paying loans of money that you borrowed, uh, paying you know, to fix something in the office, something just sort of uh, casual, not something planned. And the third and the biggest bucket is capacity. And what I love about this is, is the context of this is when you think about running your business, every expenditure you make that's not a tax fee and royalty or a transaction is investment into your capacity. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that, that in your mind, if you look at the, you know, your rent and your equipment and well, I would say the, the cost of the equipment that you use for your jobs, right? And your employees, that's all investment into capacity. And the, the, the purpose of, 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 of running a business is transforming your investment of capacity into cash. 
that's it. That's 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 all it is. And I think that 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 in in financial in accrual financial statements we lose all that because we're just looking at the historical performance of a business based on a reporting system really designed for people to make financial investment decisions, not operating decisions, which is what you call the business domain management. So I love, I love, like this is the one thing that I said, look, I could, I could take this to a customer and do this immediately because all I have to do is figure out which of the expenditures fit in this category and just do a historical uh, analysis. But then when I'm consulting with my clients is to say, okay, let's make, let me help you make the decision, whatever it is. Uh, expanding, contracting, adding a new employee, whatever it happens to be. So if we take this historical uh, information of your financial statements, transform into three, these three buckets, and then we can project these out to six months, seven, you know, 10 months, 12 months, whatever. Now I know exactly how much cash I need to generate to keep my head afloat. And then based on that, that's the number I need to figure out how much, how many projects I need to take in, how many clients, how, many, how much sales. And, and how to price my services. So it just completely transforms the way you look at traditional cost plus pricing where, hey, my employee cost me $25 an hour, ergo, if I charge 75 per hour for this employee, I'm profitable. And that's just wrong, it's a fallacy. Um, so when, when you look at it in terms of transforming your cash outlay of capacity into cash inputs, that's really, I think, that's what I got from this. This is the transformation process. And, and great business operators, not even a CEO, this is more like COO type of level, right? It's operators, the ones that, that decide, turn this machine on, send this guy home, you know, approve this over time. The people that are in the trenches making these decisions every day, they don't have these tools at their disposal. They may have some report from QuickBooks that tells them nothing about what they need to do. And they're making gut feeling decisions all day long. So as accountants, we can step into this role where we can give these people the tools, you know, maybe by using some of the stuff in your book, maybe your next book that's coming out, I think you're coming out with a book that's really gonna be more tool driven. And that's what I take from this. And this is why I recommend people read this book because it, it will change the way you look at the real usefulness of financial statements, not as an accountant, but as a business advisor, as a I think that's 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 a great summary because you know when I hear companies, let's say that you've got, you know, an automated five-axis CNC machine versus, you know, a milling machine, right? And someone will say, well, it's too expensive to run this job on the five-axis. We got to do manual, and you're just sitting there thinking, it's sitting there, nobody's using it. It's not going to cost you any more cash to use it. But people will say, well, I can't do it that way. I got to do it over here. I got to make it in this department. And when you understand that, you know what, from a cash perspective, it makes no difference. Now you can say, let's just run it on the machine and let's go. And I'll, I'll make a confession. I'm a culprit of this problem, right? Because I have three levels of technicians in my office. I have me who I'm, I'm self-proclaimed the most expensive one in the office. Then I have two senior folks that are sort of like almost as expensive as I am, 20% less. And then some of those folks that just do the data entry line level stuff. And then some, some jobs come in that where the client, we just didn't price it, let's say at the Hector level. And I would just completely refuse to touch it, talk to the client because the cost of me doing it is, is just way too high. And sometimes I fail to think that when I'm just sitting there relaxing, you know, kicking tires, 
I could be doing these jobs and open capacity for my other employees to do other things. But, you know, there's there might be some other factors playing in, into that role, more psychological and more about how, how I think about myself and how partners think about themselves in, in, in accounting practices. But I think we run into the situations all the time as well. Yeah, you do. And I think that, you know, this is where it becomes important to decide, is it about cash or is it about profit? Because if you want to determine the profit of the job, then of course, putting your time on it is not necessarily going to be a good thing. So for reporting purposes, if you're reporting based on the job, that may not necessarily be a good thing. But if you're sitting there thinking, all right, I'm going to lose money if I spend time on it. The answer is you're not going to lose money. You may lose profit, but you may not, you, you won't necessarily lose money. And it's important to understand the difference between the two. And I think that to me is a power of strategic class transformation is that it helps people understand their differences. And here's why there are differences. And you need to see the whole picture so that you can manage the organization more effectively. And if you're only looking at one side of the picture, then you're going to miss out. Even, you know, for example, even if I only focus on the operations and cash domain, I'm not going to understand what it is I'm reporting. And so therefore, if I'm trying to lower my effective tax rate or if I'm trying to put myself in a position to sell and I want to hire multiple, I may do things from a cash perspective that jeopardize that. So it's really a combination of bringing both sets of data together so I can have a complete picture of what's happening within the business. And now I understand the trade-offs. But if I don't, if I'm only looking at one and not the other, I don't understand the trade-offs and there's a risk there. Dr. Lee, I could talk about this forever. I got to tell you, you... You're a great guest, and uh, I think we're becoming great virtual friends <laughs> via Facebook and, and LinkedIn. So that's obviously very pleasant. Andrew, do you want to add any, any last words or any last questions? Well, first of all, I want to thank uh, Dr. Lee for joining us and uh, and apologize for uh, talking about the honking horns and ruining the, uh, the the recorded game for you, as well as apologize for my ignorance on the subject um, and not being as knowledgeable as the two of you. But it really has been eye-opening for me, and I think you know, Hector, you uh, you put it really uh, well. That sort of a big eye-opening thing for me is is when you said, as business owners, we invest in capacity with the hope of making money off of it. Um, and I think that that's such a really elegant, eloquent way of putting things. Um, and and it's not one that I've I've sort of thought of, but that's that's what we do, right? We invest um, in capacity, whether that's people, a building, technology. Uh, processes, whatever it is, we're investing in capacity with the hope of being able to generate cash with that capacity down the road. Um, and I think that that's the big takeaway for me, uh, as well as the, the number two takeaway is I got to go read Reggie's books um, and get schooled and better understand this concept. And it sounds really interesting that this alternative to the cash flow statement that brings in um, this these three these three ideas. So. Um, you'll put the link up, I'm sure, right, uh, Hector, into the, the link is up. Feed. Yeah, the link is up in Facebook. Yeah, yeah. I think the Excellent. best place to buy the books. Um, if you guys want, go to my website uh, because I've got probably the best prices for them, and I've got inventory of them. Um, Amazon is really kind of strange. They've been, you know, there there have been times when I've quoted six, eight week lead times. It's kind of crazy. So either my site or um, I sell them for 25. I think Amazon's 36 and I think the publisher is 35. So either Bus Business Expert Press, which is the publisher, or come to my site at bdrco.org. And um, repeat that. What is it? It's B is, uh, so my company is Business Dynamics and Research. 
So it's B as in boy, D as in David, R C O dot org. And then if you go to the shopping uh, link, there should be a shopping link. Then I sell the books there um, for $25. That includes shipping. I'll put the link up. I'll put the link up in Facebook. All right. Okay. Good. And and Dr. Lee, you, you're working on, on another book. There's another book coming. I am. I am. Um, it's a little bit different than what you'd suggested. This is a kind of an interesting book. When you start thinking about companies that make investment uh, decisions, so whether it's IT, whether it's Lean Six Sigma, the question is, you know, that you want the project to be profitable, but the question is, what's profitability mean? So if we're talking about accounting profitability, then you have situations where, um, you know, I'll give you an example. One of my clients, and if you, the folks have heard me speak, they've heard this before, but this guy named Gary and the software guy came, came to Gary and said, Hey, if you buy our software, we'll save you $4 million. And Gary said, how you, better information, faster information. He said, I get it, but how people are more productive. And Gary said, listen, here's the issue. You're saying I'm going to save $4 million. That to me now means I'm going to spend 4 million fewer dollars as a result of buying your software. Help me understand how I'm going to spend 4 million fewer dollars. And if you can't do that, then I'm not going to buy your value proposition. And they couldn't. And he said, okay, I'll buy the software because it's good for the business, but I don't want to be on the hook for $4 million that I know is not going to be there from a cash perspective. So project profitability is about helping people understand how to use these tools to understand where the real true cash and non-cash costs are so that they don't come, uh, deal with situations where they've got these inflated value propositions. You know, we'll save you $75 million if you buy our software. Well, how's that $75 million calculated? I'm going to make everybody in the organization 20% more efficient. Well, that's a non-cash cost. And so now I've got this huge non-cash cost savings. And I'm saying, so if I can save you $75 million, of course, you're going to spend $20 million on the software, right? It's a great deal for you. Yeah. And they spend the $20 million and guess what? The 75 never comes because they still have that capacity that they're paying for. And so project profitability lays out how to scope projects, how to um, identify what the, the capacity impact of projects is, how to determine what the cash and non-cash cost impact is. And then once you execute them, things to look for in the back end to ensure that you're going to get the cash savings and the non-cash savings um, as identified in your value proposition. All right. So when that book comes out and we want to get another Dr. Lee headache, we'll invite you back. <laughs> and uh, thank you very much, Andrew. Have a good night. Dr. Hey, Lee, it was an honor. Me. Thank you very much. This is so cool. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, right, guys. Have a good night.